One thing that I wanted to do with this podcast was branch out from my normal routine of talking about sports. Almost every single day I talk sports at work or with friends. This podcast was meant to expand my horizons a little bit, and I think that we've been able to do that so far this season. We've talked about business, food, journalism, music, and now this week we're going to talk about science. We're constantly surrounded by science, but it may not get the attention it deserves on a daily basis. This week we're going to chat with a PhD candidate in the Department of Chemistry at New York University. Stay with us. Cicely Schillingford is 25 years old and has been a PhD candidate at NYU since September 2015. I was introduced to her from a mutual friend of ours, Chris Thompson. Some of you may know him as Bruce or Brucey. Cicely went to school with Chris at Waterloo, and Chris has been a friend of mine my whole life. Chris has been trying to introduce me to Cicely for a while, and so when this podcast started coming into fruition, I thought she would be a perfect guest. As I started to chat with Cicely, I wondered how someone that grew up in Mississauga became a cheerleading captain in Texas, and then ended up at Harvard, and then NYU. She did her undergrad at Waterloo, and during a co-op term when she was 19, ended up working at Harvard. We also discussed what it's like to be one of only two graduate students of color in her department at NYU. Cicely took time to chat with us over the phone from New York City, so apologies for the sound quality. This is the Under the Hill Podcast with Ryan McKenna. Explain to me a little bit about how a cheerleading captain from Texas ended up uh, at Waterloo. <laughs> right. So um, when I, I actually grew up in Mississauga, so I didn't live in Texas my whole life. It was just for high school. And pretty much as soon as I got there, I was thinking about <laughs> leaving. So it, it wasn't really such a big change as it may seem. I, I was always drawn to Canada. I never really intended to stay in Texas. And I heard about the co-op program as I was looking at Canadian schools. And I just knew that that was the way I wanted to do it. Um, so I ended up applying to biochemistry at Waterloo, not really knowing what to expect. I know I was interested in science, but um, in retrospect, I don't even think there was much logic to me picking my major at that point. I just was like, I'm interested in science, and I don't really want to just do biology. Um, and then when I actually got into the program, I realized that biochem was a lot more chemistry intensive than I was expecting, which worked out because I actually realized that I was much better at chemistry. I hated biology while I was studying at, at Waterloo. Um, so I worked really hard in my first year. I was pretty nervous about coming back to a Canadian school after living in Texas for so long where I think the standards of education are not as high as in Canada. So I worked really hard. Um, I was on the cheerleading team in my second semester. The first semester I just used to go to the open practices and just tumble once a week and then I joined the team in the second semester and competed with them. It was a lot of fun. 
and spent the summer back in Texas, lifeguarding, not really using my brain. You know, summer after first year is kind of just what happened. <laughs> and then I started applying for co-op jobs in my first semester of second year. You just send out, like, 50 applications at once. And so I probably applied to all 50. I'd never really written cover letters. Um, it's really nerve-wracking that first time. And you really have pretty low expectations for what job you're going to get. Um but I applied to this job at Harvard. It was actually the, one of the first ones I applied to because I was like, this one's a long shot, so I'm just going to do this one first. <laughs> and it was the first cover letter I ever wrote. But then I got the interview, and I was like, okay. <laughs> and the, the graduate student that was hiring people, he, his name is Ian Burgess. He lives at Young and Eggy now. And he was a Waterloo College student who was pursuing graduate studies in applied physics at Harvard. And so he wanted to hire co-op because he had such a great experience and his advisor had money. So he was like, let's do it. And she was like, great, sure. So I was the second round of co-ops that he was hiring. At the time, he couldn't have been more than, he was probably about my age now, maybe even a little younger. And he didn't ask me anything in the interview. I mean, honestly, he, was, he asked me what I thought was cool about science. I was like, okay. <laughs> so we just kind of had like a casual little chat about my interests and watched some YouTube videos pertaining to stuff he was working on. And that was it. And and then I ended up getting this job. And it was the strangest thing. He really, I guess, was just work, looking for a good personality fit and someone with good enough grades and someone who was excited about learning something new. Just to backtrack here a little bit, I know you had touched on uh, whenever you had applied to Waterloo, you weren't necessarily really sure as to what exact science you, you wanted. Okay. But we, before we get into what you did at Harvard, I'd like to know, was there a turning point for you in science that you knew, yeah, I really want to study science? I think I was always a very curious child. I, I just very naturally was drawn to science. As far as I can remember, I was at the Ontario Science Museum, like, really enjoying the exhibit. It just, it was always my area of interest. I can't remember a time, honestly, where I wasn't interested in science. But as to exactly what to focus on, I realized at Waterloo that I had, was just strong in organic chemistry, and really interested in, like, polymer materials and stuff, but that didn't really come till later. I mean, like, undergrad courses are so broad. So where I really started to understand my interests were more so while I was on co-op. So that's a good lead-in into the co-op. Um, your first project at, at Harvard was uh, abbreviated title of SLIPS. Can you explain what that, that was? Yeah, so SLIPS stands for Slippery Liquid-Infused Porous Surfaces. And I worked in a research group that did bio-inspired materials engineering. So we looked to nature and developed synthetic materials that mimic the structure and properties of something you see in nature. This is actually a great thing to describe because I'm volunteering on Sunday at, at a, the World Science Festival and I'm, I'm leading an exhibit on biomimicry. So um, I'm kind of applying my background and teaching kids about bio-inspired engineering and playing games with them and stuff like that. So 
I need to have my spiel ready. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> I'm happy that I can help you set it up like, for it. Explain what this means. <laughs> and, at, and I actually, as part of the exhibit, one of the examples is flipped. Um, yeah, whenever you were doing yep. that, you were you were pretty young, right? You were only early twenties. Yeah, I was nineteen. Was, so was that difficult to year. to do that with uh, being nineteen at Harvard and was was having confidence difficult to, at the time? Yeah, I mean, I think generally when you're doing research, confidence is always going to be difficult. Um, I think a lot of people suffer from imposter syndrome and. Actually, probably every every research scientist. But at the time, I mean, I was so young, I had absolutely no idea what was going on. I it was probably one of the loneliest few months of my life, really, because I was I had no one really to talk to. I was in this new city, um, hadn't really been in a big city. I mean, it was not a huge city, but it's big enough. The biggest city I had lived in so far by myself, and I was living with three theoretical physics. PhD students at the time, so they were all, you know, 25 to 29, um, not particularly interested in hanging out with me, and I was kind of isolated from the other co-op students just because of who I was working under. Um, I was kind of on a project completely on my own, and my postdoc that I was working for at the time was the nicest person ever, but when he published this first Lips paper in Nature, it really broke ground, so he was just really, really busy giving a lot of talks and applying for faculty positions. So it was really isolating. I really had to kind of pull myself up by my bootstraps and just figure out what to do. I spent probably two months just reading. It was really difficult for me. I read a lot. I asked a lot of questions. And I didn't even really start doing experiments until like maybe six weeks into my placement. When I finally got the ball rolling, things weren't going terribly, which was pretty good. And then I gave a presentation at the end. And I've never been so nervous to go presentation in my life, but it actually ended up going pretty well. And and uh, I had encouraging feedback, and my PI wanted me to come back and keep working on the project for a second semester. And I wasn't expecting that. I was expecting to just be like, oh, no, I totally screwed this up. This is <laughs> terrible. And uh, no one's going to want me to do research anymore. I pretty much had no guidance. But the thing that's great about Harvard is that no matter how old you are, you're really, you really are, especially, this might just be the dynamic of this research group, because I think that, that chemistry, chemistry departments are a little bit different, um, a, lo- a lot more competitive than applied science departments like physics and engineering. Um, I think there's a lot, this is a huge research group, 50 people, there's a lot of resources. You can ask anyone for anything. There's always someone who's an expert in some area that you need. And people are really willing to help you because a lot of them are postdocs. So they're not in direct competition with you, especially as an undergrad. You're not, you're not threatening to anyone at all. You're not trying to, like, you know, sometimes in grad school, there's all these kind of research proprietorship wars and things can get really messy. But it was a really healthy working environment. It, I was able to be very successful from the onset, and I think that I owe a lot to the mentors I had while I was there. So I ended up going back to finish the project and work on a paper for it. And again, like, I had never written a paper before, so I was just pretty confused as to where to begin. Um, never? You've never, someday, you had never written a, no, a, a never, paper? No, like, never written, like, a scientific publication. Oh, okay, okay. Like, I've written, had written many, many, many papers, <laughs> but, like, when I say a paper, I mean, like, 
like a, like a science publication. Because <laughs> um, it's just, it's much different. Like, it's, it's not like any other style of writing. Um, getting used to the, applying the technical language and the terminology and like, it's like learning a different language. And there's so many terms and things that I just still was having trouble understanding because a lot of what I was learning at group meetings and while I was working in that environment was stuff I had never learned ever, not in undergrad, not ever in life. So I was, I felt, you know, every single week at group meeting, I watched people present their research and I just had no idea what they're talking about. And it's funny to look back now on some of the work people were doing at that time. And it makes so much sense to me, but in that moment, I was like, what does the word nucleate mean? Why does everybody keep using it? Like, I don't understand this concept. So it really was, it really was a challenge. I believe after Harvard, you then went to uh, a co-op at a chemical company. But it didn't uh, seem as though you were having uh, an impact on society like you had sort of hoped. Uh, I'm curious as to how important having an impact on society is for you and, and the roles that you take on. I think that came following, like, going back to Harvard, finishing the project, writing a manuscript, um, having it submitted to my PI, and, like, during that summer, while I was working at this chemical company, I was still um, getting that manuscript ready for submission, and also helping out with the patent, so I was still affiliated with Harvard pretty much the whole time I was an undergrad, I was doing work, I was doing work for this group. So having that in the background, like finally seeing the fruits of my labor get closer to publication, and then also working at this really small company doing QA stuff for agricultural chemicals, it was just, it was the most disheartening thing. It was just so boring. Like, I can't even tell you how bored I was. I, nothing I was doing, none of the products we were working on or anything I care about, like, but I, I feel as though... You sort of need something at at that age in the in the early twenties, uh, at least to steer you in the right direction career wise, to see what you don't really want, so that you know what you, yeah. you really want. Absolutely, you know, there's so many different chemical industries, um, and at the moment, my research can be applied to everything from, like, on a very basic level, like on a very low level, the kinds of synthesis I do. Chemical synthesis is involved in, you know, materials, cosmetics, technology. There's there's infinite ways to apply your science if you just figure out what your interests are. So to be applying my science to something that just, like, didn't tickle me at all, you know, I was bored and I wanted to go back to doing research so that I could broaden my skill set, um, expand my knowledge, and then find a niche that fit my interests a lot better at a larger company, not in the middle of nowhere. You mentioned your, your interest there, Cicely, uh, and, and after your, I believe it was either before or after your second round at Harvard, you de- decided to change your field of study. Um, why, why was that? I never really changed my field of study. I think I changed, I ended up doing research, and I think what I meant by that is I ended up doing a thesis project on uh, structural biochemistry, and I was studying biochem, but it was still mostly a lot of organic chemistry, and most of my research while I was at Harvard was related to bio-inspired engineering, so it was materials chemistry, like, completely different from my degree, so I wanted to do some research that was a little actually closer to biochemistry, because that's what I was studying, to see if I actually wanted to apply my entire undergraduate education to my research sciences, 
And I actually didn't love it. I was making proteins and measuring certain properties of them and correlating that to computational data, um, modeling different protein structures and stuff. The modeling stuff was really cool. I just, I don't like working with cells. I don't like growing living things. I don't like the smell of it. I don't like how it kind of takes over your life and your schedule. I think it's boring. It's a lot of just repetitive tasks. So just wasn't interested in continuing anything related to biochemistry. Honestly, like every day, my interest in things completely evolve. I have I've changed, I've done so many different research projects in completely different areas. It keeps things interesting. Even right now, my research is really multidisciplinary. So I'm doing everything from material synthesis to synthetic organic chemistry and to like a lot of different instrumentation, analytical tools. Things I do kind of evolve on a daily basis. I've always kind of enjoyed being like a jack of all trades. And I think that when I finish my PhD, I'm probably going to end up in a position that's more related to like science policy, scientific advising, consulting, something like that, because I don't think I'm interested in staying on the bench, doing experiments, doing research for the rest of my life. I, I'm really good at communicating knowledge. I really have strong leadership skills. I think that I have a lot of important soft skills that I want to apply to more policy advisement management roles and doing research for the rest of my life. You brought up NYU, so let's get into that a little bit. So you finished at Waterloo and then... I considered going back to Harvard for graduate school, but I just needed a change of scenery. I'd been there for almost a year and a half and been doing work in that group for pretty much three, four consecutive years. So even into my first year of grad school, I still... What my old prof sent me a paper to review. Like, I published with her while I was in grad school, so it was just a long, drawn-out process. I feel like I did a PhD in that group sometimes. New York was where I felt drawn to, and I did also go to Yale, and I considered going there. I don't know if you've ever been to New Haven, Connecticut, but it's not particularly enthralling. <laughs> Can't and, say I have. <laughs> And I wanted to be in the city because the chemical industry is the epicenter of the chemical industry is in New Jersey. I mean, there's tons of chemical companies, cosmetics companies, and I knew that I would have the opportunity to interact with them. And I have to a great extent. I do a lot of work for for some professional organizations too. In fact, the Chemist Club, which is a professional nonprofit that kind of links industry professionals to students, and I manage some event planning and stuff for them, and I've met tons of people in the industry through this organization. And then I also volunteer for a chemical marketing group that's part of the American Chemical Society, which is like one of the largest chemistry-based, the largest chemistry-based nonprofit um, in the state. So they have like different topical groups, and there's the New York chapter of this marketing group, chemical marketing, and so I help them out, and I'm actually speaking at one of their events tomorrow. So you, you so, have a lot of uh, free time is what you're trying to say, Cicely. I don't have a lot of free time, but I try and spend it in productive ways. I'm trying to make sure that people in the industry know who I am so that when I want to get a job, it's easier. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> but at NYU, my research now focuses on uh, something called colloidal chemistry. So colloids are these, like, 
small, tiny particles. And a lot of what I'm doing now is really, really more like fundamentals, not applied science and not making slippery surfaces or slippery textiles or things like that. But it is still under the umbrella of materials chemistry. So I use these particles to create interesting building blocks that can be used to fabricate crystal structures that have photonic properties, so they interact with light in meaningful ways and can produce structural color and have other interesting optical properties. So my work is kind of on the back end with designing um, new building blocks for these materials. It involves a lot of chemical synthesis and creating surface patterns and using surface chemistry and, and then also a lot of like fundamental chemical synthesis. So there's a lot of different things going on. I think it's interesting, but I mean, I'm a grad student, so usually the only people that think your project is interesting are you and hopefully your advisor. <laughs> well, I think it's very interesting as well. And, and we'll, see, we'll see what happens. Um, how much longer are you at uh, NYU? And, and I guess uh, on that topic, uh, what's the what's the end goal for you, Cicely? I'll be here for another probably three years. The end goal. You know, it's really hard to see the end. <laughs> um, my end goal now, finish my PhD as quickly as possible, find something that works, um, Right now, I'm struggling a little bit with my project, so I'm hoping that things turn around and I can produce some meaningful data by the end of next semester because I want to go to a conference in August, so I need things to really start working better, but we'll see. You just got to keep trying stuff. It's the name of the game. That, that's taken on a that's bit science, of a, right? Yeah, I've taken on a bit of a high-risk project, whereas I think the stuff I worked on at Harvard was fairly low-risk, low-hanging fruit, so... Um, I'm still kind of readjusting to constant experimental failure, but high risk, high reward, so we'll see how it goes. One thing that did get brought up in the personal statement was how important it is for you to be a voice of, uh, for underrepresented women of color in both science and engineering. And I was hoping uh, you could maybe expand on that a little bit. Sure. I mean, growing up, I didn't really have a lot of role models um, doing what I wanted to do with my life or really doing much at all, especially living in Texas. You know, it's such a toxic environment. Um, there's so many crazy people. It's not it's not particularly encouraging being in a place like that. And my family both grew up in the Caribbean, fairly poor, didn't have a lot of opportunity, always emphasized the importance of education, that no matter what we do, we have to go to the highest lengths with our education because they didn't have the opportunity to do so. And now that I'm living in New York especially, and you see how much segregation is present within the small island. You know, I wake up in Harlem and I'm surrounded by African people and then I get off the subway in the West Village and it's the complete opposite. Um, there's, there's, so, there's so much government sanctioned division and a lot of these kids that go to underprivileged schools, they don't get to actually interact with people that look like them that are doing things with their lives and in positions of power. And so I try and make myself a part of the scientific community in a broad sense. That's why I like to go to these science festivals, why I like to interact with children of color, 
Um, and there's a lot of local things that I do too. Like occasionally kids from school come through the lab and I do demos and give tours and short presentations. And I kind of feel like I'm always the first person to be asked in the department to do these things because people know that I feel responsible for um, being vocal about science and being present and being like the face of the department sometimes. And because, you know, they like to show off the fact that they have like a colored person here. Actually, now there are two, so that's great. But even in New York City, you know, we have 150 students almost in the department. And there's only two people of color. Wow. Really? It's only ridiculous. two? Only two grad students. I actually tried to start a PhD science organization. Um, and we were like, hey, Graduate School of Arts and Sciences, how many black people are there studying physical sciences? And there were only like nine. <laughs> I was like, oh, gosh, it's going to be really hard to start a club with nine people. How are we even going to find them all? So needless to say, that wasn't a very success, but... And was this um, the same at, yeah. at, at Waterloo as well, Cicely? I don't really know what the demographics were. I mean, Waterloo generally is more multicultural. People identify more strongly with their cultural background. So I think because of that, you see a lot more different cultures, but still not very many, like, Caribbean people. But there is still a large community of Caribbean people at Waterloo. Even my cousin went there, who was from Trinidad, and so she like she managed to find every single Trini in the school and, and be friends with them. So there are there. Um, I don't know what it's like in the undergrad student body, so it's hard to comment because I'm on a different space now. Like I think there's more programming for undergrads. There's such a much larger volume of them that it's easier to find your community. But within the graduate program, I don't really interact with people outside of the chemistry department. I have a few friends in different programs, but not many. And a lot, most of our, I'd say about 40% of this department are Chinese students and like maybe another 40% American students and maybe like, I don't know, 20% people from other places. But that, I'm just guessing based on my experiences, my everyday experiences. But like my research group, for example, we have about 12 people, six of them are Chinese probably representative of the department. I feel like I, I'm under a lot of pressure and scrutiny. I feel like I often get, it's hard to tell sometimes if I'm being like chosen to do a thing because I'm qualified to do the thing or because they want to diversify that thing. <laughs> you know, like mm -hmm. I just was in Minneapolis a month ago doing some recruiting for the department at a at, for the, at, at a conference hosted by the National Organization for Black Chemists and Chemical Engineers. And most of the students I talked to, which was about 70 in that day. So there is a group of universities and colleges, maybe it's like 10 or 15, the HBCUs. And they're all schools that are pretty much exclusively black people. I mean, there are still a lot of universities that are almost exclusively black people <laughs> in the United States. I don't think you can say that about any school anywhere in Canada. No, absolutely um, not. A lot of these students, you know, to be at a school where they're entirely in their, within their culture and maybe they're the best at that school and then to come to New York where it's a completely different multiculture and, and be able to adapt to an environment where not everyone knows your story, you know. It's a lot of pressure and it's really, it's really hard to move people from space to space like that, which is why I think it's important for people like me to be like, you're not the only one that's going to be in this space. 
I can relate to you, you know, let's work do you, together. Do you think um, it's important for, for people to uh, to get that experience and would it, that it would help them with their own personal growth if they do expand into a different, uh, into a different area? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, it, it, it just, whenever you're uh, mentioning stuff like that and, and, you know, get them out of their comfort zone and, and their culture a little bit to a place like New York City. And, and I'm just curious as to how important that was for you to, you know, be immersed in, in a society uh, like you are at, at NYU. Being in New York is, is really interesting because everything that happens in America is just kind of amplified in the city. Like, you can't really be in your own world, you have to be a part of it, you have to be focused and aware and woke and educated, and you have to appreciate all kinds of people, you have to open your mind, you have to be on top of your game, because everyone that you walk past every day is on top of their game, and everyone's working really hard at what they're doing, everyone's doing really interesting things, so... It makes you want to be the best version of yourself, and it gives you a lot of clarity because everyone here has so much independence that you feel entitled and empowered to your own independence. And I feel like I've made a lot of positive lifestyle changes, personal changes um, since being here. But it can also be very distracting. There's so many opportunities to be doing things. Like, you can fill your time so quickly and then you know, not focus on one thing at a time. And so I feel like I came here and I was like, I'm going to do everything. And then mm-hmm. at some point I realized that you can't. You have to find a few things that you're good at and zone in on that. I feel as though that's uh, when you try to immerse yourself in, in too much, sometimes it can uh, creep up on you sometimes. It can be toxic, you know. Like, I can look at the news every day and read something else that's terrible. And you kind of have to keep up to a certain extent. But then to a certain extent, it's like, you know, how much is this affecting my, my like, emotional and mental well-being? Um, being exposed to all the corruption and toxicity that's present in the United States of America. So there are good things and bad things about being here. But overall, I think it's a positive life choice. And I feel really excited about my future after my Ph.D., even though I'm not sure what exactly it entails yet. But... Um, I think I'm on my way to figuring that out. That was Cicely Schillingford. She's a Ph.D. candidate in the Department of Chemistry at New York University. That does it for Episode 5 of our show. Buckle up, there's just one more episode left this season. If you know of someone that might have an interesting and intriguing story to tell, or a trend that should be discussed, tell me about it. There's always Season 2. I can be found on Twitter or Facebook at Ryan B. McKenna. That's all one word at Ryan B. McKenna. Special thanks this week to AT Media and Entertainment, which provided editing help for this episode. Alicia Sani is an editor on the show. Music this week is provided by Bray Skierman. This was the Under the Hill podcast with Ryan McKenna. Thanks for listening, and so long now.